G'day and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast, another interview. This is episode 746, my chat with Kevin Cruz. No rules, leadership, time management, and AI coaching. The future is here! G'day guys and girls, welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. Lee Martin here. Hope you're having a cracker of a day. I've got a cracker of an interview to bring to you, and it is a chat that I had with Kevin Cruz. He's a bit of an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, actually. He started and sold many successful companies. He's also had his fair share of failures as well. But um, what he didn't realize when he started out in business is how important leadership and time management were. So he really became a student of those two facets. And um, now he's a bit of an expert in those fields and he goes on to teaching others how to master time and also improve their leadership style. What was really exciting about this conversation, which is where we actually began it, is talking about his project, which is Lead X. Basically what it is, it's built on the back of Watson, the AI machine, that is a leadership development platform that allows leaders to be trained and coached at scale. Um, it's just incredible, it's really exciting. We talk about different bits of AI and tech there as well. Um, that really I enjoy, I really love the field of tech and what it holds for the future. But lots of um, hacks, hacks about time management and also about leadership as well. He's got a few books out. Guys, check it all out, thehiddenwhy.com, episode 746. Uh, let me know what you think. Jump on there, leave your comments. Jump onto The Hidden Why at Facebook and leave your comments there. And make sure you check out Leadex, check out Kevin Cruz and support him on his journey. Support yourself on your journey by becoming a better leader in life, in business, uh, in whatever you pursue. Enjoy the show. Cheers. G'day, Kevin. Welcome to the Hidden One Podcast. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Looking forward to our chat. Mate, um, yeah, I've, I've been wanting to have this chat for a while. You guys reached out. You've got a new book coming out, so it's, it's great to have you here. Um, your new book is Great Leaders Have No Rules, um, which I'm really excited to dig into myself. Haven't read it yet, but I can't wait. Um, and you've written a bunch of other things. You've got a podcast, I believe. Um, you publish a lot online. I mean, you're pretty prolific in the content you release. Tell us a bit about your background and, and what got you into this this area of leadership and um, wholeheartedness and employee engagement. Yeah, sure. You know, it, it's funny because I um, like I consider myself not a leadership expert, but a leadership student. And I've now over the last 30 years, uh, I you know, I've, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So hmm. I've started and sold about five companies, but I've started and crashed and burned a handful of others. And early on, Lee, I was in my 20s and and really didn't know what I was doing. And um, that's when I had my worst failures. Uh, I certainly still still have have some. But one of the big things that I struggled with when I was in my 20s is, you know, I thought it was all about the hustle and the hard work and all the rest. And that's good. It's nice to have that. Mm. But it wasn't enough. And uh, I didn't know how to lead. I didn't know how to lead myself. I certainly didn't know how to lead others. And so, you know, leadership was a big kind of failure of mine and actually productivity was another uh, big failure of mine. And when I finally, I mean, it took me 10 years to start to figure it out. It was my third company that I sold and then, you know, sold another one. And it was uh, about 10 years ago when I decided to take a little bit of time off and focus on some of these passions just because like I wanted to write the books that I wish I had, you know, when, when I started right, and gotcha. that's where yeah, so it was, you know, uh, leadership related topics and then 15 secret successful people know about time management was around the productivity and um 
you know, I, I got back into the business side of things. Like two years ago, I did another startup. It's called LeadX, Next Generation Leadership. Uh, it's an AI tech play, but I still am committed to doing one new book a year just as a way to try to, to get the message out there. One new book a year. How do you accomplish that? <laughs> well, I guess I got really good at that productivity stuff, but um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume you don't really want the answer to that. No, no. How, how, how does your um, how does your business life look these days? Because obviously, you know, starting out setting up businesses, failures, successes along the way, selling them off, um, and now it seems like you're really full time into into this passion of not only learning and being a student of these particular areas, but also teaching others and helping others. Um, as it relates to their lives and their businesses, is that is that sort of where you spend majority of your time? Well, yes, it's it, it, but it's all aligned to the same you know mission. I mean, I, I want to spark the next 100 million leaders, the next generation leaders over the next 10 years, and so you know the writing does that, but it won't reach 100 million people. No. And so lead lead X, um, we we basically. We took IBM Watson, the artificial intelligence platform, right. and we and we built the world's first executive coach on Watson. So now anybody that you know has a, a, a smartphone, either an iPhone or an Android device, you can get this trainer. We call her Coach Amanda, but behind the scenes, it's actually Watson. What did you? you know, uh, how um, did you select the name Coach Amanda? <laughs> well, so people think it's because my uh, my oldest daughter is named Amanda, so they assume that, but that's not the case. Yeah. So here. Here's, here's how it happened. When, when thinking ahead, when you call out to your AI device, like your your Alexa device or whatever, that's called your watchword. And three syllables is good. Four would even be better because it won't confuse it with other words, or it reduces confusion. So we needed we needed a three three syllable or longer name. And with an eye towards China as the the next sort of uh, expansion play. Mm. Um, we did some research and found out that um, many, many young professionals in China, they'll take a, an English name, especially if they're doing business with the West. Yep. And uh, Amanda is the most popular English <laughs> female <laughs> name adopted by Chinese women. Yeah, cool. So I'm like, OK, at least I know they can say it and they're familiar with it. And that's how we came up with Amanda. That is cool. So how does, how does this lead X um I mean, Watson, we've heard stories about Watson. I have not much knowledge on this area at all, but um, it's AI basically, isn't it? So how did you how did you get into that and, and use Watson to set up your own coaching, um, executive coaching system, AI system, and, and then how does that work? Yeah, well, so all of my companies over the last 30 years have been in the uh, e-learning or HR technology space. And right. so I've always had uh, an eye on the tech. Mm -hmm. And it was just a couple of years ago when I started to see that people were using AI to create um, – like these therapy bots where if you're depressed or anxious, you could talk to these AI agents online and yeah, right. they started doing, you know, studies showing that it had equivalent effect of a human therapist and leadership is about behavior change and changing our thoughts and then our behaviors. And I thought, Hmm, have you, you know, actually seen it that. work like these, these, these <clears throat> therapy bots? Well, I played with them. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, the, um, there's data that suggests they work. There's the the one that is my favorite is one called Wobot, W-O-E-B-O-T, and and it's free. Anybody Wobot. can get it. And it mm. a cognitive behavioral therapist, uh, this psychologist out of Stanford University, 
said like, you know, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy kind of uses a structured approach to ask you questions, give you advice, give you tips. And she created the bot to do right. what she was doing for Makes her patients. Sense. Okay. And when I saw that, it gave me the idea of like, well, executive coaches kind of do the same thing. And uh, so that's how that's how we fell into it. And we've just been training like the more people use AI, the smarter it gets. So when we first released Coach Amanda, she was really stupid. What and year was that? Two years ago. Okay. Yeah, two years ago. And she only could understand about 11% of what people were asking her. And then it was 44%. Now it's 65%. And probably the middle of this year will be about 85%. And uh, Understanding AI the really questions that people ask yeah. her? Okay, wow. Right, right, right. Because you could ask like, how do I manage an employee who's always late? Or how do I communicate with uh, uh, a, a disc personality style of high D? Or That's give incredible. me tips for active listening. So she'll answer all these kinds of questions like tips for leadership competencies, personality, problem employees. But the the funny thing is, Lee, like <laughs> we, t we say, well, Coach Amanda will say, hey, I know about management and leadership. Ask me about that. And the number one thing people ask her is, how do I get a raise? <laughs> mm -hmm. Everyone wants to know how to make more money. And the second thing they ask is like, how do I make my boss like me? And the first one is not a leadership topic. And the second one, I at first said, this is ridiculous. Like, we're not going to answer that question. Just the answer is going to be, I don't know. So this and is then Coach Amanda prompting this. this yeah, yeah, yeah. Prompting people, people are asking to ask Coach these questions Amanda. And then they're like, okay. Hmm. Yeah, people ask her that. And, and we see like what people are asking her. And we can determine like, well, how is she going to answer it or will she answer it? And so I didn't want her to answer it first when people kept asking you know, how do I make my boss like me? How do I win favor with my boss? I said, that's not a leadership question. That's not a management question. But my own team overruled me and they said, no, no. They said, listen, if you're going to be an effective manager at work, you'd better have a good relationship with your boss. Like we think Coach Amanda needs to learn about this. So it's, it's fascinating because we get to see People think the magic is in the technology. It's actually in the data. So for two years, it's like ESP. We know what managers are struggling with. We know what they're scared of. We know what they would ask a robot, but they're afraid to ask their boss. Yeah. And we, we see all that. And then we train, we have uh, educational, or I mean, IO psychologists train Watson in how to answer it. But we always get to say like, well, is she going to know about that or not? Um, and it's it's fascinating. It's a lot of fun. That's incredible. Like I've I've got a Google Home thing, and and I ask Google um, many questions, and it, it often can't answer. It says I don't know the answer to that, or don't know how to respond. Um, right. Yeah. How does that work? Like number one, how do you actually get the is is Watson available for anyone to grab or to buy, or how does that work? It's available for anyone to buy. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So you guys purchase, it and then you. You adapt it to your own program and then improve it based right. on input? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, anybody, hmm. you know, whatever you want to do, you know, if you wanted, uh, there's different modules uh, of Watson. It's not like one thing. We're using like natural language processing, uh, it's chatbot feature. So anybody that wanted to, um, you know, if you wanted to create the, um, the Lee robot who is going to give advice, all about uh, um, success 
and uh, purpose and great books that you would pass down to others, you could do that. And um, you could do that with the IBM Watson AI. Google has their AI available. Microsoft has an AI package. And like this is crazily, but I actually think I think you will do that, meaning right now. If we want to get better at, at something, uh, and I don't know in Australia who's popular the way here in the States, but like if I if I wanted to get out of debt and save more money, there's a guy, Dave Ramsey, and I might buy his books. Hmm. Or if I want to get motivated, I might buy a book of a Tony Robbins, right? And if I, if I want to spend, if I have $1,000 to spend, I might go to a Tony Robbins event. But wouldn't it be better if Tony Robbins could just follow me around and Tony Robbins knew my personality, my strengths, my weaknesses, um, my finances, my health, and could coach me on all areas of my life. Well, instead of buying a book, instead of buying an audio cassette, instead of going to a program with a thousand or 25,000 people, it's personalized to one. And people like Tony Robbins, any any expert out there, any quote unquote guru out there, instead of publishing Mm. books, we will publish a chat bot and you just download it on your iPhone and I'm going to get advice from Lee or I'm going to get advice from Kevin or I'm going to get advice from Tony. And uh, it'll be the more we use it, the more it will know about us and it will be more powerful because it's tailored just to us, just to our own. But you have to use that one particular bot or program or, or yeah, AI yeah, for now, that's right. But 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 imagine if uh, already the, you know, the way some of these events are, where where these gurus will will team up together and there'll be five of them at an event. Same thing's gonna happen. It will be like, hey, you know, I'm the I'm the health expert. Uh, now you should get my buddy over here who's all about money. You know, for an extra ten dollars a month, you're gonna we're we're gonna team up on the same bot and help you out. You know, there's yeah. gonna be all kinds of collaborations like that. Yeah, well, that that voice—I don't know what do you call it—voice, um, voice control, or um, yeah, that voice whole, navigation, yeah, voice sure. navigation. I mean, that's that's the way it's going, and and I can see it already with the Google Home in my house. But um, that ability for someone else to help me make those decisions, understand me better than, well, maybe not understand me better than I know myself, but understand me better <laughs> enough to make decisions quicker than I can. That's obviously the benefit of this as well, and I could see it. You know, even podcasts, for example, just hey. This is something that you're going to enjoy today, Lee. Um, you know, I can I can feel it based on on what you've asked me this morning. Have a listen to this podcast rather than ciphering through the hundreds of podcasts that I've got in my phone and trying to pick one that I want to listen to today. Well, actually, that's a brilliant idea. Like one of your listeners needs to go out and build that because recommendation engines are one of the easiest types of AI now to adopt, and the same way. You log into Amazon and it recommends a book. You log into Netflix, it recommends a movie. Two months ago, Amazon released their recommendation engine that you can just, you know, a company can just rent now on a on a monthly basis. So why isn't like some service looking at all the new podcast feeds out there and doing its magic? And then it knows exactly what Lee or Kevin like likes to listen to and all that. And then says, hey, based on your prior, you know, what we know about you, your big data profile, here's the number one podcast that was released today out of a thousand or 10,000 that we think you're going to like. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be that tough to do it. So you can buy that from Amazon, the recognize, recognize, what do you call it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The recommendation engine just two months ago. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They just released that. 
I know. This is spastic. It's way too advanced for me. <laughs> <laughs> crazy times. We're living in crazy times. So that's so going back to Coach Amanda. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she's coaching executives on how to perform better, how to lead better, how to be more productive. Yeah, she's co- right. Executives, any anybody that wants to be a better right. leader, like right now, um, anybody can just, you, you know, a single person can download uh, the app, the LeadX yeah, app. Yeah. And there's, there's coach Amanda, there's, uh, there's, there's videos, there's trainings, there's webinars, like all of this is, is, you know, funneled in. And the more you use it, the smarter she gets, you know, about what you like to do and where your leadership interests lie. So she knows the individual. So if I download the app, put it into my phone and start interacting with it, she's going to learn my preferences and and me. Well, the most powerful thing is when you first um, open it up, IBM Watson invites you to take a personality assessment that takes about five minutes and it uses the most validated personality assessment in the world. It's called the the, the big five or the five factor model. Hmm. And this is where you know you said something kind of funnily where, well, it might not know me as well as I know myself. In some ways it might know you better because you answer the questions and then Watson gives you a report. Coach Amanda gives you a report that's going to show your rating compared to the rest of the population on things like um, your growth mindset, your your extroversion or introversion, your mm. something that's called agreeableness. Are you a challenger? You like to argue with people or do you um, need people to get along? Uh, um, negative emotion, you know, how do you react under stress? And so Coach Amanda starts, everybody gets this profile. And um, you see the results, so you can learn about your own personality if you want. And then she knows about your profile and will give you advice uh, tailored to that. Like, uh, here's an example of great leaders, great managers. You're supposed to give feedback to your people. You know, yeah. uh, uh, you'd say, hey, Kevin, you know, you, you did this thing in the meeting that wasn't so cool. Here's why. Now, if you're high in that personality trait of agreeableness, which I am, by the way, you kind of hold back feedback because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to start a fight, but that's not good. People need feedback to grow. Mm. And so a generic coach out there, they're not going to know your personality in that way. A generic training program is not going to know. But with AI now, AI has the ability to get inside your brain psychology wise and then give you advice specific to your personality. I mean, it's wild stuff. It's really wild. Say it could really help Kevin approach this person in, in the best possible way to have good outcomes for both people. Yeah, and it actually worked on me. Like this is a true thing where I struggled as a young leader. You talk about how do I, I get into this? I in my when I, I'm 51 now. When I was in my 20s, I was young and dumb. Not that all 20 year olds are young and dumb, but I was young and dumb. And I, because of low self-worth, I had a need to be liked. Now, I didn't know it back then. I didn't understand what was going on. So if you have a need to be liked in a, and you're in a leadership position, well, decision-making takes forever because you're trying to get everybody to agree, which mm. rarely happens. Uh, you rarely give feedback to people. And while I think I'm being a nice guy, a boss, their friend, oh, I'm not going to bum Lee out. It doesn't matter that he came in late the fifth time in five days. You know, he's a good guy. Instead, everybody else is like, does Kevin even care about us? Like he doesn't give us any feedback. He's not growing us. We're not advancing in our career. And I didn't understand that. It was only after going through the personality stuff and then being told like, Kevin, listen, you're you're lacking professional courage. You're not you're 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 holding back because of yourself, not because of them. 
they don't need a friend. They need a leader. They don't need a friend. They need a coach. They need someone to help them in their career. And and then there were some statistics I saw about that where people are engaged at work when you give them good feedback or critical feedback. The only time they get disengaged is when you ignore them. The opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference, is ignoring someone. Mm. <laughs> and we're recording this on Valentine's Day, by the way. So, uh, yeah, here we are talking about love. Mm. And uh, <laughs> One day so, ahead yeah, of you. <laughs> it, yeah, that's right. Um, so it's just uh, it's just crazy that like it, and I, I changed my behaviors. Now I give feedback. It's still a little uncomfortable. Like no one wants to give someone, you know, hey, you got to take a shower. You smell in the office today. You know, you don't want to say that. But you realize it's corny, but feedback is a gift. And once this coach explained this to me, it totally made sense. Like, oh, wow, she knows exactly how I feel and that I do hold back feedback. Like, that's amazing. And then gave me advice that helped me to sort of overcome it. So it gives you advice on how to overcome it, how to approach it, and how to how to handle it, navigate it forward. Right, right. That's incredible, huh? That's it. just amazing. Wow. Um, is this a cost to download this application? Uh, it's like uh, seven days free, and it's I don't know. I think twenty bucks a month, twenty two dollars U.S. Yeah. dollars a month uh, type type of a thing. So it's not not very expensive. Yeah. So I mean, for a coach wise, like to get someone that can coach you, I mean, you're going to pay a lot more. Oh, a lot you know? more. Um, so this is a great way. Is this going to make you obsolete at some day, Kevin, or what? What's going to happen there with yourself? <laughs> well, I don't I don't do uh, a lot of uh, really any human coaching, but yeah. I hope so. And I actually think that, you know, people are scared. They'll say, oh, the the AI robots are going to replace all the workers. I actually do think AI robots, they're not going to replace the workers. They're going to replace the bosses. So the the within five years, two thirds of managers will go away and we're going to report two thirds of us will report to a robot boss because two thirds of our managers are not engaging workers. They're not motivating workers. They're not doing their job. And it just not not. not there's a lot of fat in, in management too, isn't there? Really, I mean, there's, there's a lot of fat in in management. And let's be honest: for those who are working in a big company with a traditional boss, does the boss does the boss know your personality very well? Do they know your strengths and limitations? Do they know your career goals? Do they know the names of your children? Can they tell by looking at you when you're stressed or not? AI can, and so you're going to end up reporting. Now, we won't know it's our boss because what's going to happen is bosses today, let's say they, they on average, uh, manage 10 people per boss. That's it, whatever that number is, about 10. Hmm. Well, 20, 30 years ago, that number was eight. In 1950, that number was six. So the span of control of management is getting bigger and bigger. In another five years, managers are going to be managing 15 people, then 20, then 25. Now, when a manager is managing 25 people, I can't do a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Lee. I can't see you every week. It'll be like a monthly check-in. So what do you do the other three weeks of the month? You're gonna go check in with your robot boss. And they won't call it your boss. They'll be like, oh, until you meet with your real boss, go have a chat with, who knows, maybe it'll be Amanda. Yeah. And Amanda's gonna um, have a personality and will even ask you you know, uh, uh, way more questions in detail than your boss ever would and uh, check in with you and find out how how motivated and engaged you are, what ideas you have to make the place work better, how you're doing on your you know, career goals, on your annual objectives. Uh, you'll have a good conversation Glad with you her. Glad you're on that. That's, that's, yeah, wow. 
the, the, yeah, what's to come? I'm, I'm really excited about this space. I mean, obviously you are, you're right in it, but um, yeah, it's incredible to understand. Um, Kevin, I want to jump into your book, Great Leaders Have No Rules. Um, what do you mean by no rules? Like leaders must have some sort of rules to follow. Well, here's what I mean. So I think companies should have rules if, first of all, if it's the law, like there's a you rule you have to follow because it's the law. Gotcha. The second is yeah. if it's you know, personal safety or something, workplace safety issues. And if you hire really, really bad people, maybe rules will help you rein them in. But the problem with managers having rules and all those policies and procedures, whether it's a vacation policy or using black ink instead of blue ink, every time you bump into, Mm. yeah, yeah, the black and white stuff, you, you take away a chance for me to make a choice. And every time you take away a choice, it becomes more your company and not my company. And I'll I'll tell you, literally this book has been 20 years in the making because here's the story that kicked it off. I was was 30 years old and I had sold my company to a bigger company and uh, the agreement was that I was gonna become vice president, report to the CEO, I was gonna be a partner, I owned a lot of stock and the CEO tells me, we're all equals here, I'm not your boss, we're just partners, we're like peers, we're gonna build this thing together. 30 days later, I get uh, an expense check and I open it up and I notice it's about four, $4 short. And it wasn't a lot of money, Lee, but I'm like, that's weird, maybe I filled out the form wrong. And so I emailed the CFO and, and said, hey Don, the check came back short, did I make a mistake on the form? Did I not know how to do it right? And he said, no, he says, we don't reimburse for post-it notes, so we deducted that from your expense report. <laughs> And I said, emailed back, why? And he emailed back, wasteful expense. And I found out from a buddy who had just joined the company, also at a senior level, they shorted his check by a few dollars because he was traveling on business and at dinner he had ordered a a beer, one beer. Mm. And they they deducted it and they said, no, we don't pay for beer (laughs) when you, for alcohol when you travel. He could have ordered a $6 milkshake, but not a $3 beer. Yeah. So we then, you can imagine mm. how that felt. Did I feel like a partner in the firm when I couldn't buy post-it notes? Did I feel that I was equal to the CEO when I'm banned from ordering post-it notes? You know, it totally felt like, oh wow, everything's a lie. This is their company, not my company. And this is, I'm gonna bang my head on the wall for years if I stay here. But a funny thing happened. So rules by definition, they take away conversation, choice, decision-making, and most people bump into rules and they just feel bad and that's the way it is. Now, I was at a level where I went to the CEO and said, Rudy, what is up with this ridiculous rule? And he explained to me, he said, Kevin, listen, I don't care about post-it notes. He said, one of our values, and it was actually a written value, is growth and profit. And it wasn't that the mission of the company was for profits, but he wanted it known that unless we're profitable, we can't pursue the mission, right? So it was a written value. And he said, people waste post-it notes. What he would see in the office is people would you know, um, scribble, they would doodle on them while they're on the phone or they would write down the voicemail messages on them. And he said, you know what I use for that kind of stuff? And he points to his desk and he had ripped up the scrap paper from his printer into little squares. And he had this ragged stack of paper yeah, yeah, on yeah. his desk yep. that he used and he says, It's a symbol of frugality, saying we don't buy post-it notes. It's a reminder to people that we are frugal here. And then a funny thing happened. He said, Kevin, I had no idea people were upset about this rule. That was not my intention. 
forget it. Everybody can buy post-it notes. We're not going to have that rule. So I won, right? But I never again bought post-it notes, even though I could, because Rudy, my boss, took the time to have a conversation. We talked about the values of the company. I realized why it was important. I realized what the cultural norm was. Yeah. And I, I just respected like, okay, I don't need post-it notes. I'll, I'll make do. It's okay. I get it. And so whether it's buying, you know, you, you can only, it, it, the one that really gets me, Lee, is like the expense travel stuff. Yeah. I've, I've been getting sent stories from people about ridiculous rules. And one that caught my mind was, there's a rule about um, you can't stay in a hotel. I think it was that was like more than $120 a night, whatever it was. And so this was this hard and fast rule. And so people were were going on business to New York City. You cannot get a hotel room in New York City for less than the $125. Yeah. So what they did, though, is um, it was like, I don't know, $150, $175, whatever it was. So instead they got a $125 hotel room in New Jersey next to New York and then rented a car for $100 to drive in it every day to the meetings. <laughs> and they ended up spending more money yeah. on the cheap hotel and the rental car, but they were within the rules. And so that's where this craziness comes in. Every time there's a rule, it comes from a good place. Like nobody makes a rule because they just want to mess with you, <laughs> but they're trying to protect the organization from the 1% of knuckleheads out there that are going to do something stupid or be wasteful. Yeah. And that mm. drives the 99% crazy. So instead, the great leaders, they have no rules. They hire very well. Make sure they're hiring the right people. And then they focus on culture, conversations. And if, if, you know, if you're wasting money on too many beers or whatever or staying in an expensive hotel – that's called a that's called a, a feedback moment, a coachable moment. Hey, Kevin, you know our culture is we frugality. Don't uh, we'll pay for your three beers this time, but next time only submit the first one. The next two are going to be on you. Right, and that's a conversation, and that's gotcha. fine. You know, it doesn't need to be a rule in place for that kind of thing. Yeah, because I mean, I've spoken to a lady about societies as a whole. You know, the the bigger the population, the more rules necessary. And so you look at something like Japan. Um, highly condensed population, mass numbers of people. They have pretty clear cultural rules that, that the society um, follows. And it'd be the same in the organization, I assume. The more rules, um, the more order there is, and you know, the better things operate. Is there, a, is there a shift away from that because the landscape of organizations is changing too, whereby rules are perhaps um, less effective in actually driving the results of the company than before, do you think? Well, I'm not sure. And I, I think what I really liked what you talked about in Japan is it's a cultural rule. It's not the law. It's not the black and white rule that that's holding everyone in place. It's really cultural rules. And I think uh, that is the, the most powerful thing because uh, the black and white rule, people can cheat, they can hide, they can dummy up receipts. If it's a cultural rule and you feel a part of the family, the nation, the company, then you right. won't break it. And the so best it's not example, really a rule at all of its cultural rule because it's just the way things it, are done. That's exactly – yeah, it's more of a norm. It's, a, mm. it's an agreed upon right, norm. That makes sense. And um, you know, Netflix is now – I mean they're, they're fast growing. They've gotten huge and they're probably the most uh, famous example of a no rules culture. I mean they say, listen, you know, people don't need babysitters and we're all adults. We're clear on what we're all trying to do. We're all pushing in the same direction. And if some of us make mistakes, okay, we're going to coach you or we'll throw you out. But like we don't need to penalize each other for rules. And, you know, again, there's going to be some basic like legal things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
I mean, in my 30 years now, and now I've, I've never had a company more than 350 people, but I've never had an employee handbook longer than one piece of paper. And uh, you just don't need, like people think it's here in the States, they're like, oh no, you know, you, you have to have the 500 page diversity handbook and this handbook and that handbook all wrapped in the big binder. Hey, that raise nobody that shit. Reads. <laughs> yeah, nobody reads it, right? Well, no. it's not a law that you have to put that in your in your thing, you know. So, I, I think I think I've got a one page front and back is about it. It's all I've ever needed. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting it. So, yeah, no rules <laughs> makes makes total sense. And and like you said, like the culture, it's the way things we do around here. But I also like the point when you take away the rules, you actually do open the door for conversation both ways, so from leader to employee and vice versa. Because, like you said, there might be a coachable moment where the the uh, leader can go to the employee and say, hey, this is, you know, something about post notes. Did you know this is what I do and this is why? And, you know, you have that conversation, which then gives them a little bit more ownership, a little bit more engagement down the track. It's all about that ownership. That's exactly right. So that's the uh, that's the rules. Um, what, are, what are a couple of the uh, key points um, that, that people are going to take away from reading your book, Great Leaders Have No Rules? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, the one that... Um, uh, People like I've released this very first chapter was released online as an article and it kind of went viral and it's called close your open door policy. Yeah. (laughs) And it's another one where, you know, the classic management wisdom is, you know, have an open door policy. And at the time that it came out, it probably made sense. And it comes from a good place, meaning, hey, it facilitates communication and speed. And, you know, you don't even you can just leapfrog your boss and go to your boss's boss and her door is always going to be open. But the reality is, I mean, times have changed. And and first of all, an open door policy is now a metaphor because most people don't have offices with doors that close. Most people are in open office environments or they're working remotely. But it's the same concept if you're, you know, someone taps you on the shoulder when you're in an open office environment or uh, someone messages you on Slack when you're working from home. It's these interruptions. It's the dreaded got a minute? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, because you know, it's never a minute, right? It's it's never just a minute. And so the idea is the problem these days with that open door policy, first of all, of course, for the managers, we can't get any work done. We can't, we can't get deep work done. We can't think strategically, creatively, because we're constantly interrupted throughout uh, the day. Yeah. And the surprising part, though, now Marshall Goldsmith has d- done some work on this. It's not great for the people coming through the door either because he says, you know, if they're coming through the door all the time, either you hired the wrong person or you didn't train them. They're not trained in what to do or you've not created that that environment of, of psychological safety where they feel that they can make a decision without bothering you. And if it's wrong, it's going to be OK. Mm. Um, and so this idea that uh, an open door policy is is great is not the case. Now, I don't say you close it completely. What I say is close your open door and open your calendar, meaning maybe it's office hours and everybody can decide what's right for them. I mean, maybe it's just like, hey, you know, in the morning, if my door is closed, it's closed for a reason. That's deep work time. But every afternoon, my door is going to be open with an open door policy. Or maybe it's the last hour of every day or maybe it's Fridays, whatever it is. There's a better way to do it than just to have this culture of always open door policy and everybody can interrupt each other. And I think it comes down to the communication and managing those expectations. Like, you know, if this is my lockout time between 8 and 10, that's when I have my door shut. I'm focused on a task. 
um, you know, and letting people know that, then they understand. And hey, between, you know, 11 and 12, you know, if you've got any questions, come and see me. This is a good time to, you know, sit down and, you know, unleash, un, you know, ask the questions that you might have. Um, but yeah, really letting people know those expectations will really help that as well. But I agree, like the open door policy, uh, yeah, to get things done would be just a nightmare as a manager. That's right. Um, that's really cool. Now, you're a bit of a time management um, guru as well now. You said you weren't uh, previously, but you've learned a lot along the way. <laughs> Is that right? And that's your story? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've always been, uh, well, not always, but I'm obsessed with time. It's um, I was horrible at it. And why are you obsessed time with is, time? What do you mean? Oh my gosh. Uh, time is life. I mean, there is nothing more precious than time. I mean, mm. you know, money, you can lose it and get it back. Our health, you can get sick and get better again. Yeah. But minutes, I mean, once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. And, you know, I, whether you're, I mean, whether you're 18 or 80, life is short. I mean, we're here for just a split second in the scheme of things. And, to maximize the 1,440 minutes in each of our day, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty obsessed with, with just getting the most out of it. Mm. I only, um, you know, when I, you know, I sold a couple of businesses and, and, you know, was very fortunate and did well. And a lot of my friends who, who, who did well and sold companies, they go crazy. They start buying all this artwork and all this stuff. I never did that, but there's one expensive artwork piece of a, a painting that I bought and uh, it's from an artist called Peter Tunney. It's, it's like a modern piece. And it's it's a, this collage, this mixed media. And it says, the time is always now. And so when I sold my businesses, that was the first thing. I just sort of stumbled on it in, in a city I was in. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm so obsessed with time and the making the most of every moment. Like, I've got to have that thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty obsessed about it. Pretty obsessed. <laughs> I feel the same. What uh, what are three of the top time hacks you have, or, or time management principles that you you live by? Well, so uh, the one I first wrote about in in my last book, and then I, I talk about it called "Crowd Your Calendar" in uh, in this book. It's it's this idea of basically throwing away your to do list mm -hmm. and living from your calendar. And I get so much hate mail on this and I'm not anti list. I have a grocery list. You can have a project list. If you, if you manage people, you can have lists of what they're supposed to be doing. But this idea of us having this little piece of paper, you know, that we, the, we break out and, Oh, we got 15 free minutes. What are we going to, what are we going to do? It, it's not effective. And, you know, in that, that previous book, I interviewed about 300 Self-made millionaires, self-made billionaires, you know, co-founders of Facebook, Airbnb. I interviewed Mark Cuban, all these people. And none of them were talking about their to-do list. And then when I started asking, like, well, give me a, a trick about your to-do list, they, they would laugh. Like, what to-do list? It's like if you want something, if you if you really want to do something, pick a day, pick a time, pick a duration, and schedule it, and then live from your calendar. And you know, it, it, there was a study Lee, that says. 40%, 40% of everything that goes on to-do lists are never done. It's like the graveyard of important but not urgent. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do this I'm easy. Test of that. Quick. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so it's now it's a really hard thing because like up until I did this research, I was huge on to-do lists and I had a yellow legal pad, the long ones, two columns. I would have 60 items on it. And wow. every night <laughs> I would reorder them and all the rest. And now realize like this is research for like the highest performers. So 
look, if you've only got five things to do over a weekend, your mind can probably be a good enough tool. If you've got 10 or 12 things, your, your mind might forget them. So writing them on a piece of paper might be an effective tool. But the top, top performers, people who are just eking everything out of life or their career, whatever it is, they've got way more than 12 things that they need to get done. And so that's when the to-do list falls apart. And it's like, now you just need to schedule it all. And in the morning, you print out that day calendar and that's your quote unquote to-do list for the day. And um, what's nice about living from your calendar is it's a great accountability tool. I mean, it, you really can pause. I was talking to John Maxwell, the, the, the leadership yeah. guru, uh, a couple of weeks ago. He told me that I could pick any day and hour from the last like 50 years. He's an older guy. And he could tell me exactly where he was and what he was doing because he's been living from his calendar minute to minute for all these years. And he said that in the last week of every year, he goes back and he looks at his year and he thinks like, okay, what were the things that gave me the most energy? <clears throat> Let's do more of that. What are the things that I didn't do so well or that I didn't like? Let's do less of that. And he literally allocates his minutes, his hours, based on his values. So if he says, okay, for 2019, I value my family. And last year, I was spending two hours a day with family. Now I want two and a half hours. He pre-schedules the time on his calendar. That's family time. Health. Oh, I, what, I was doing an hour. Now I only want to do the treadmill for 45 minutes. I pre-schedule that 45 minutes a day mm. from now till infinity on the calendar. So instead of it being like a random list of my to-dos and everybody else's to-dos. And I say, I have a hard time saying no to people. So I'm always saying yes to things. It's easy to just add it to the bottom of the list. Instead, you pause and are like, what's most important in my life? How, what does great look like? Is it going to take me an hour a day, a minute a day, uh, an hour a week, whatever it is. Now let me map it out and then try, try to live to that, that mapping. Schedule more. Such important points. I mean, I think, yeah, when you're running off that to-do list and nothing's scheduled in your time, you sort of, it's just so ineffective, isn't it? Because you then, you know, you get that time, like you said, and you look down your list and you go, okay, what's next? What's next? You're just wasting so much time when if you have it all scheduled, you know exactly the, you know, at the start of the day, how your time's going to be used out through the day. So there's no questioning. There's no decision making. You're just going from one task to the next project, to the next call, whatever it might be. I think it's, it's a great way to, uh, yeah, to become more effective with your time. What um what else do you got there? Well, you know, it, it, the in terms of the product uh, productivity side of things, and, and I've got a whole chapter called <laughs> "Turn Off Your Smartphone." Yeah, and you know, the editor, my book editor, said, "What are you talking about your smartphone for? Like, this is a leadership book." But we, as we've now seen, now I wrote, I started writing this book two years ago, and it wasn't in the press as much. But I mean, if you care about your team members' productivity you need to care about their smartphone use. Hmm. You know, if you care about their safety as they're driving to sales calls or whatever, you need to care about their texting and driving, you know, use. Um, and, and I even say, if you want to create a culture of free flowing discussion, honest conversation, brainstorming, you need to care about smartphones because they're also, uh, we're all carrying around these little spy devices in our hands, you know, <laughs> you just tap a button and you're recording every conversation, you know, that's going on. And so what I say is like the, the smartphones are now getting in the way 
of our best selves at, at work and, you know, at home as well. Leadership yeah. is at home as well as work. Yeah. And people, you know, especially the younger generation says, oh, you just don't understand. You know, I'm 25 in Silicon Valley. We're on our phone all day. We take our notes on it. We do this. We do that. And, and I think there's strong research to, to support this. Put, you know, use the phone when you are intentionally trying to use it as a tool. Don't have it on where every buzz causes us to pick it up and look at, oh, who texted me or what happened on Facebook or yeah. the game just buzzed me to get back in. We're acting like, you know, the old Pavlov's dogs, you know, the bell rings and we react. Yeah. So it's not that the phone's bad, but you want to check it or process your, your messages when you want to. And for most of us, you could probably pick up your phone morning, noon, and night, and, and that's all you really need. Maybe if you're in sales, it needs to be once an hour or something like that. Hmm. But the point is more like you control it. Don't let it control you. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that's another that's a really good one. productivity, uh, uh, you know, direction that also will affect leadership uh, effectiveness at work. Yeah, I really like it. I think, you know, using it as a tool for a purpose um, is certainly valuable, but um, yeah, just keeping it on. Yeah, I, I always use the you know before phones. We had um, you know letters coming into our mailbox, and you just imagine if if back then we had a a big bell that rang every time there was a letter delivered. <laughs> are you going to be running out to the front yard, checking the mailbox, and running back inside every time that happened? No, you wouldn't. Well, and well the same and with I, the phone. I, I love that analogy because it's and imagine if the 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 mail carrier came every single letter that came, not you know ten in one pack. You know, it'd be over and over again, letter by letter. It would just it'd be something more incredible crazy. than Superman, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, um, no, that's really cool, man. How does this all incorporate? Because what I'm really passionate about is what I can take away from experts like yourself. You know, in the fields of leadership and and time uh, effectiveness. And putting it into our personal lives to help us um, be more fulfilled, create more purpose in our lives, and ultimately live with a greater level of happiness. How do you see your work being translatable to that? Well, I'm glad you asked because to me, leadership is a superpower. Yeah. And the the reason why I say that is if you boil leadership down, there's all these fancy definitions, but it's about influence. And when you realize that, you realize like, you know, there's self-leadership, you know, leading yourself, leading your best self. There's influence with your your kids and your spouse. So there's this family leadership, leadership in the home. And then, of course, the more traditional thoughts about leadership at work. And, and what you really have to realize, and I talk about this um, in the book, I say leadership is not a choice, meaning we are all leaders all of the time, even if we don't want to be, hmm. because our, our emotions are contagious. Our actions are contagious. Uh, they have, you know, the, the classic studies around, like, let's say uh, you're a student at school and there's a, a bully, you know, picking on somebody. You've got a choice. You know, you can you can say something and stand up to the bully. And the research shows that that bully will be less likely to do that again in the future. Or you can stay silent. And you might think like, Oh, one is action, one is inaction. No, one is action of saying something, the other is action of staying silent. And when you stay silent, that's called bystander syndrome. The bully is encouraged to keep bullying. And so it's the same in the office. You're in a meeting, you're in the conference room. There's a debate about do we do X or we do Y? Everybody agrees to do X. You think it's stupid, but you don't say anything. Yeah. Well, that is perceived as supporting the decision. 
So you say something or you don't, you're going to influence it either way. And I think that it, it all starts at home. And, and let's let's take it even back to um, like our kids and rules. And, and and you know, parents don't like to hear this, but I, look, I'm not a perfect parent. I'll I'll call myself out on this. The research is clear. If the parents who make it home in time to have dinner with their teenage children four nights or more a week. So we'll give you two for the weekend, maybe three for Friday, but you need one more day in there. When you do that, if you're eating dinner with your teenage children, they're less likely to, to experiment with drugs and alcohol as teens. They're less likely to um, have risky sexual behaviors. They have better grades. Uh, they're more likely to, to graduate. All of these are positive behaviors. That's and that means if you don't make it home for dinner, you're influencing in the other direction. If you're not having dinner with your kids, they are more likely to experiment with drugs. They're more likely to have risky sexual behaviors. So you're leading whether you want to or not. It's just, are you leading in a good direction or a bad direction? So the takeaway for our lives is all about lead with intent, live intentionally, realize that what you say and what you don't say, what you do and what you don't do has a massive effect on yourself, my health, my happiness, my own level of success, and everybody uh, around me as well. Yeah, hey, well put. And um, that's some interesting research too about making it home to dinner. Um, certainly something I'm always uh, not on time for. <laughs> me either. <laughs> but, um, that's really cool, man. Well put. Look, I've got some quick round questions just to run through. Uh, we may not get time for all of them. The first question I want to ask you, Kevin, is what one routine or ritual do you believe contributes mostly to your success? Every morning I have a, a whole morning ritual, but the first part is an attitude of gratitude. I just sort of close my eyes and I think about three different things that I am grateful for and make sure I truly have that feeling of gratitude. Nice one. How long does your morning routine run for? Uh, it's about 20 minutes, maybe longer if I hop on the treadmill. It's, it's, I mean, it's not hard. I do the gratitude practice. I say my mission, you know, to myself. I, um, I then think I have, uh, sort of three, not goals, but areas of, of focus. I keep it simple. So I call them my three to thrive health, wealth, and relationships. And I kind of run through those things. Like, what am I trying to achieve in those areas? And what will I do today to get closer to those, those goals. And then I end with, a uh, my most important task. What's the number one thing I'm going to do for the day. And then, um, like some yoga stretches or hop on the treadmill. Yeah. Nice. And what's your definition of success? For me, success is just about being able to do what I want to with my time. I mean, that's, that's all it is for me. That's pretty cool. And what advice would you give your 20 year old self? Well, I would come back to, you know, what we touched on my 20 year old self. I mean, I would say, listen, um, you know, be likable, but don't worry about being liked like have the courage to be disliked because to stand out and to, to you know, to have to be successful, you got to do things different than what everybody else is doing. And they're going to look at you weird and they're going to doubt you. They might resent you. Um, and, and at work, people need you to lead the team to a higher place, not be their friend. So it would just be advice like, hey, you know, don't worry about this external validation for your self-worth. Get your self-worth from who you are and your values and, and have five people that you care that like you. You know, your 
your your family members and uh, 20 years old, your girlfriend, whatever it is, but you don't need everybody to like you. I mean, that's what I would just try to hammer home. Yeah, that's cool. And um, we've talked a bit about productivity, so I'll skip that question. But if someone comes to you and they're just looking for a bit of advice, they're seeking out some change in their life, what advice would you give them? Well, I, I think the number one, um, I, I didn't know this until I was probably 40, but like the number one variable for quote unquote success or change is going to be environment. Like all the other stuff's important too, goal setting, et cetera, et cetera. But it's your environment. You know, if, if you're trying to, if you're trying to make a change in your health, like lose weight, start with, well, what do you have in your kitchen? What do you have in the cupboards? Uh, you know, if you're trying to uh, start a habit of, of a gratitude practice of sending thank you notes out at the end of the week, put the thank you note cards on your desk with a pen and, uh, and things like your environment yeah. will shape you more than anything else. It'll influence you. Yeah, that's cool. Um, do you have uh, a book that you'd recommend everyone to read? Um, I mean, I, I'm a big, I read like uh, at least a book a week. I love books. Yeah. And, um, I think that, um, like the, my go-to uh, classic would be, you know, Victor Frankl's, um, uh, man's search for meaning, I think. Yeah. That's a nice one. I'm going to stick your books in the, in the show notes as well. So guys listening out there, check it out, the hiddenwire.com and, uh, use the links to, uh, get a couple of copies of these books. Uh, if we were to serve you your last meal, Kevin, what would you <laughs> choose? That's a funny one. Uh, uh, probably like uh, I'm a salty guy. It's so like uh, French fries, you know, chips or, or like some nachos, but also a, a good bourbon. <laughs> yeah, nice. What's one leisure activity that you enjoy the most? I mean, anything with my kids. I don't have uh, a lot of what I would call leisure downtime. But if I'm watching a basketball game with my son or maybe watching a movie with my daughters, that is the best part of life for me. Yeah. That's cool. If you could uh, text or tweet everyone in the world, what message would you send? I would send the message that life is about making an impact, not making an income. Hmm. Do you believe we all have a why? I don't think we all uh, are born with a why. I think we can decide on one and we can change it. So, you know, I often say the the <laughs> it, kind of a quip is the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose, but you get to pick your purpose. Yeah, yeah. And if you were to look at the one underlying motivational factor in your life, everything you do, what would that be? Uh, it's all about, um, it's Every every morning, my mission is about providing hope and help for people who want to achieve their full potential. And uh, so that's it. It's just trying to help people to achieve their full potential. Probably not that different than yours, right? I mean, it, there's a lot of ways to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it's the thing you sort of question sometimes and you wonder, you know, of all the things we do every day, what is the underlying motivation? Um, you know, you could look at the human evolution uh, being survival, but um, what is deeper than that for you personally? Um, and, you know, I get a variety of answers, impact, um, helping service, things like that is sort of aligned with what you just said then as well. So, yeah, it's really cool. Interesting stuff, Kevin. It's been a great conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about your uh, coach, Amanda. I think that's a great thing and <laughs> um, certainly started the conversation off very uh, with much excitement for me as well. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing. And uh, I want to encourage all the listeners out there to check you out online. How do they best reach you? 
Sure. Uh, the new book, Great Leaders Have No Rules, available bookstores and online everywhere. And uh, if you want to check out Coach Amanda, it's leadx, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, leadx dot org. Leadx dot org. Well, mate, thanks very much for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's um, do this again sometime. Yeah, Lee, brilliant fun. This is really good. We were talking before the show that I like the long format and it's a real conversation. So you're doing a great job. I appreciate it. Right, thank you. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace, passion, Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon